Hi, I'm Duncan, um, and maybe this is going on to Cloud Streets, which is normally a podcast with James and I do. Um, I'm co-founder of Ebola, which is an education startup with about 200 employees. And today, having a chat with Jess, um, or Jess might ask me some questions. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly, Jess? Yeah, so I'm Jess, and I make journaling tools for introspection and self-reflection. Cool. Um, <laughs> we met, whatever, about a month ago through a mutual friend. Um, and I, th I think you think, oh, so you're going to try to ask me some questions today. Is that right? And we'll see. Yeah, I've been cyber-stalking you since, and now I have a, a few <laughs> questions to ask. <laughs> do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, yeah, one thing that was interesting was you said that you like biographies and I've kind of managed to piece together a few things from your past, but I haven't managed to click into what your childhood was like. So if it's not too much to dive in. Yeah. Who were you as baby Duncan? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think your, your memories are really quite colored by what happens. Um, I just started reading Spare by Harry, um, not because I necessarily I just think there's so much cultural stuff happening around. I wanted to do. I think the very first quote is, "The past isn't even the past. The past isn't. Oh God, I'm going to mess up. True, whatever it is, or static. It isn't even the past." And what I take this to mean is that every time you replay the past, you change it some of the times. Like it can be rewritten. Um, and also, every time you think about the past, it's currently the present. And so, I don't feel that I have some sort of photographic memory of the past. It is, in fact, the exact opposite—an increasingly distorted memory. So, as an example. I don't know, you might have been at dinner and you were at dinner with some couples and a year later, one of the couples there breaks up and then you think, oh, you know, think now I think about it. They weren't having very fun at that dinner, were they? But they may as well at that dinner have been deeply in love and at the best of times. So you rewrite things all the time. And so what I'm about to tell you is probably a deeply distorted understanding based on stuff my parents have told me or things that I've thought. Um, another sort of example of your memory being fallible Every time you replay a memory, it's kind of tainted by whatever your mood is at that time. So if I'm in a happy mood and I just happen to recall something, I'm like making it with an airbrush, making it better, you know? And if I'm in a bad mood and then I replay that and make it kind of worse. And so maybe I'll just pause here before I crap on about my childhood. But I suppose I didn't used to know this. Like I, I didn't, I thought my memory was like some sort of computer and it, it, you know, it was a good reflection, not a total, you know, misrepresentation that is constantly changing and that is often trapping myself. <laughs> so yeah, you have any thoughts on that one? Or No, that makes sense. So the reason that I'm asking is because when you talked about the way that you kind of scaffolded the career that you wanted to have, it felt yeah. like there was kind of a confidence that you'd be able to acquire all of those skills. So I'm guess I'm wondering if that confidence was something that you learned or if it's something mm. that you maybe didn't have as a kid. And then the other reason was too, as you mentioned that like um, you wanted to first go for a career where you'd be able to earn money because you understood that that was the game. So what I'm curious about was like, why did you anchor into that particular game? Was that from a place of like maybe not fitting in in a different area or like what was the driver behind that choice and that desire to hit that mark? Okay, cool. Um, look, I think I had a wonderful childhood. <laughs> um, I had parents about as good as anyone could ever ask for. Um, having said which, I would consider them very traditional parents. Um, they were what I would say doing the best job that they could, um, but kind of making it up on the fly, which is kind of how I think the vast majority of parents do things. Um, they were loving and supportive. Um, they were always, you know, I think little things here and there, but by and large, it's hard to, I think, you know, want for more than what was provided. Um, I was, uh, you know, mum, I think was a good girl and she very much in impressed upon us to be good people. Um, and so I, I wanted to be a good person. Um, and so as an example, I remember, and I think this is true. So again, like I have distrust of my memory. 
like a large distrust of it. If that was that the first thing. And so I'm trying to tell you what I believe to be a fair reflection, but I don't know if it is the truth. It's just the stories, like the idea of yourself as a story you tell yourself, they say. Um, anyways, um, lying was not something I wanted to do. So as an example, when you're in like prep or year one or year two, I wouldn't go and, and rat on people, but if the teachers asked me what happened, I'd tell them the truth because lying was not something you would do, right? Um, and I remember other kids be like, Duncan, don't say, don't say. But I was like, look, this is the rule, them the rules. Like you don't lie, right? Uh, and so I was a good kid, um, very good kid. Um, and quite a nerd. Like I did a hell of a lot of Lego going into prep. I think we might talk about some of the sort of intellectual starting points that people have, if you want. Um, and a bit shy, a bit nerdy and a good kid. So that, that was basically it, yeah. Yeah, okay. So throughout your life, you've just been kind of honing your internal compass and that's what brought you to the confidence that you have now? I don't, no, no, no. I think I was just going down the path put out in front of me and yeah. it felt to me like my, you know, my parents worked very hard um, and that they sacrificed a lot for us to, you know, give us the best start to life they could. And I was grateful for that. And I assumed that there were like, you know, wise old people that had a much better understanding of the world than me. And so I didn't fight the system. I wasn't like raging against it and being like, oh, I'm some sort of disaffected young person or something. I was like, nah, they, some wise people know just one foot in front of the other and try hard. Um, so, yeah, um, I was just standardish, I'd say. Um, but I was strong at maths and science. And I think that was because I did a lot of Lego preschool. And then outside of school, I was doing things like playing Monopoly, Strategio, um, you know, lots of effectively strategy games and number stuff and not much literacy stuff. Like I didn't read books before school much. I got read too. I didn't read much during school. So I, I've, and I'm, my English was average. And so I was a good math and science student and an average humanity student and overall pretty average, I'd say. You know, just normal. There was nothing, I don't think, particularly, you know, special. Yeah, okay, cool. All right. And then I love what you say about curiosity. I was curious, do you feel like right now people are lacking a sense of curiosity about each other? And mm. also, um, I don't know. Like, um, I think this is one, this is a society side, like, this is one continuum. You can have learned helplessness or learned help yourselfness uh, or post traumatic stress versus post traumatic growth. Um, so it's like part of positive psychology from Martin Seligman. Um, and I think whether you're aware of it or not, almost everything people say, you say to yourself, the media writes, you know, teachers say whatever, comes with mindset embedded. And sometimes it's learned helplessness, sometimes it's learned help yourselfness. Um, and so I think that it's not necessarily curiosity that people lack at the moment. I feel that there's a lot of well-intentioned people that are trying to help others, but they don't realise they are indoctrinating learned helplessness, which I don't see as a good way to help others. And so there's different economic systems that people have tried and we can, we can go through them if you like. But I think the one that has worked the best is that you try to give people the best start point to life possible. And then they have, they are the outcome is their start point plus effort. And you've got to take that effort. And effort is learned help yourselfness, which is a synonym for post-traumatic growth, which is a synonym for growth mindset to me. And so I don't necessarily see a lack of curiosity as a big thing, but I do feel that there is indoctrination of learned helplessness. It's not your fault, someone else's fault. And I'm not saying that we don't want to change things and help other people or whatever, but you do need to take things, you know, and move forward and take responsibility, I think, for a lot of your life. Yeah, I agree with that. 
do you think though like in the space of you know how you were talking about rote learning and how people can't be interested in something unless they have like a good framework or understanding to build from do you mm. think maybe what's happening is is people are rote learning each other so they're just taking on board like kind of uh, basic facts and then they're building out a mental model without actually trying to challenge those assumptions and get deeper and maybe if we created more space even in the context of parents having conversations with kids they'd actually be able to create space for more vulnerability and for kids to see each other a bit less like a digital avatar which is i think where things are going and more like that human to human connection yeah uh, this is well, it depends like at, at a one-to-one -one level i think you kind of realize that people are all complex and that you change um, and I don't think identity is fixed. Um, so in, in the West, you know, your identity, they say, is uncovered and you should be authentic to who you are. You're kind of fixed to birth. And in the East, your identity is forged. Um, so this is what some psychologists call the identity um, myth um, or the personality myth. Um, and so to me, I think up close, you can hopefully feel that you can, you're changing and that you have part of the same, how that is, not entirely. Like it's partially your biology, partially the people around you, you know, the nurture, socio-cultural indoctrination, but it is also partially within your ability uh, to do things. Um, but, and this is like, I know we're sort of slightly away from this rote learning, uh, conceptual learning thing, but identity politics, I feel, is tarring someone that you are your skin color, you are your class that you're born into, you are your sex or whatever. Um, and whilst I think those are part of who you are, I don't believe they have to define all of who you are. And I would hope that as time goes on, those are the starting points of where you started. And the starting point, of course, matters, but that you become a bigger and bigger portion of where you have built yourself to be. So the starting point becomes the same amount, but as a percentage of the total overall you, because you grow each year, you're 100 units, then you're 110, then you're 125, then you're 140, whatever, um, it, it, it recedes. Uh, and so I feel that identity politics is overall net, you know, net backward step. Um, and that we should be trying to get to a colorblind society, you know, a race science blind society. And even saying that is, is pushed back on by a lot of people. Like saying colorblind means you're not for affirmative action. If you're not for affirmative action, you are thereby racist, which I think is probably a step too far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Do you think like, okay, so what area, how do you sit with something like someone being curious about someone's culture? Like, do you think it's, how could we make people more curious? So rather than ignoring the fact that someone is a different color to them, asking like appropriate questions or trying to synthesize what that experience means to the other person. Hmm. Yeah, um, well, I think to try and help others. And so one, I, was sort of, I think we should have this one model I have for life and that you should have many, five days a week of purpose, one day a week of play, one day a week of peace. And one heuristic or one way to think about that five days a week of purpose is to help make humanity better than it was in some place. Yeah. Um, and to me, all else equal, a larger amount of help is better than a small amount of help. And whilst, you know, you are part of humanity, you probably don't necessarily represent a large portion of humanity. And so if you want to improve, you know, things for a large portion of people, you need to spend a bunch of your time learning to empathize with them. Mm. And I think that just as one can learn mathematics, one can learn to empathize. But the overall process is actually not too dissimilar. And so I, I kind of had, I think you're born with the idea of a growth mindset in certain areas and a fixed mindset in others. So a growth mindset is I can get better at something. And a fixed mindset is you're born good or bad at it. And so they, they have like actually research showing that different cultures have different growth mindsets in different areas. So for instance, each Asian cultures such as China, India, Japan have a more growth mindset in mathematics than Western cultures. Um, and so as an example, I thought, oh, you can get better at maths, but you can't get better at empathizing. 
some people are born with strong emotional intelligence or whatever else it is. Um, and so to me, I didn't know that probably the biggest part of problem solving is first understanding others. So they say, um, diagnose before you prescribe. And because almost all things are eventually helping humans, if you can't empathize with the human that it's helping, then you're probably not going to be able to prescribe well. And so to me, it's an essential component. And also I think actually extraordinarily rewarding because if you can see it, the end outcome helping a person, that's much, I think, more tangible to be get motivated about than if you can't see it helping at all. Does that help? I don't know. Yeah, no, it does. So what are your kind of mental models for mapping people then? It depends what you're doing. <laughs> there, there, there isn't one. Um, so I, I spend, I suppose, a bunch of time thinking about education. Um, and so the the first one you've got to think about is like, what is the biggest problem? Um, and it changes. So as an example, in Australia in year 12, the biggest problem is the year 12 exam or what they now call an ATAR score. And there's no uh, open for debate, open for discussion. That is the biggest problem, right? Um, and, and I'm going to argue in year seven, and you look at the studies, the biggest problem is engagement. Like kids just not caring. But then there are some schools which are far more studious or where there's an academic culture. So this is really interesting about technology. In some schools, it's cool to be smart. Even though I think smart is a fixed mindset word, you're not born smart or dumb. So to get good grades, people look up to them. And in some schools, if you're trying hard in a study, they'll like pay you out as being a nerd or whatever else it is, right? Um, and so you've got to try to understand like effectively problem largest to problem smallest, which is what I try to do. And then it's better to work on the bigger problems normally <laughs> because there's much more uptake of that. And so it's really funny. Like it doesn't matter if it's humanities, science or maths, like engagement is, I think, the biggest problem in seventh grade in Australia. Um, whereas in year 12, that's not the case. Like if you really don't like school, you can leave in year 10, but you are like legally bound to go. So you've got to try to find the problem and then you've got to try to understand how do you actualize that in a way that works. So those are very, I suppose, sort of simple, sort of oversimplifications, like reductive ways, but that, that's one way I think about it. Okay. And then how do you kind of scaffold out, like, what are the different learning models that relate to each kid? So it's like, how do you look at the different kinds of cognition that they have? Because I know you said that you try and make things for the 90%, which makes sense. Do you have like a kind of way of mapping the way that each of them has different learning strengths, abilities, differences? How do you look at that? I don't think about learning styles, which is like, can you study movement? Because that's yeah, what yeah. Not, do you have something though like even in terms of your staff like how do you how do you make like good ingredients in terms of your team or how do you map everybody yeah so normally there's like each piece is kind of um well if we just take like most um things uh you can explain them in more than one way and so at a minimum i think you can explain things in three ways whether this is maths science or, or humanities and you've normally got space to do that. So I would argue, and this is just an oversimplification, that you normally want to try to explain something in more than one way. Yeah. And there's normally the most easy to understand, most delicious, or nutritious, and the most sort of relevant, most delicious uh, way. And so you start with whatever that is, and that's dependent upon whatever you're explaining. It's not like there's one approach, which is always the best approach for every single idea in science. And then you also normally want to do a second way and the second way normally should complement the first way in a positive sum fashion, i.e. one plus one is three. And what you can often find is, say, a not-so-good teacher will explain it in one way, which is average. They haven't really done it very well. And then if they're asked again by the student, 
they explain it at half the pace in what can come across as a patronizing way, right? And so I'm going to argue it's better to get the best first way, which is great. And then if you're asked again, you've got a second way in your you know, toolkit. And then if you're asked again, you've got a third way. So we're normally going at three, but you can't always fit it in. And one of the differences that I see between really great teachers and say novice teachers uh, is that the, the master teachers have got three ways to explain all concepts. And they know which way really resonates the best for that concept. And it's not that there's an arbitrary, this is always the best way. And every single pro concept is explained from that way. It's that each concept is different and the best way for that one changes. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And then do you have like your principles of like reading and writing and communication embedded into the way that the teachers use the curriculum? So do you ask kids to do all of those different disciplines to kind of yeah, consolidate their understanding of a subject? It depends. Um, so the way that maths is taught in Australia is actually quite different to the way that it's taught in New York. And so part of understanding, well, the biggest problem, for instance, in year seven, I think, is, is engagement in Australia. But in, in New York, is the state test at the end of the year. We don't have an equivalent state test in Australia. Um, and then the way that things are done in the US is materially different to the way that things are done in Australia. Mm -hmm. So as an example, maths conversations um, are not so much a thing that happens in Australia. So they will discuss in some classrooms one math problem for 10 minutes. And they'll go through first strategy, second strategy, third strategy in the US. And then they'll go through all the non-examples or all the misconceptions. And then they will turn that from like a pure abstract question into a worded question. Um, whereas in Australia, that's not uh, necessarily the way that things are going about. And so when you understand that, what is the biggest problem? Then how do they actualize to, to help solve that problem now? And then you want to see a way that is hopefully better than the existing one, but is not necessarily teaching them to do an entirely new thing. So they already know how to do it. So you feed them. It's like the same recipe. So um, to me, I don't know, I think of it almost like food. Um, the Japanese, you know, you get the same protein, carbohydrates, and vitamins, and it, but it's very different to, you know, Italian food, right? And it's not one that's better or worse. You took a Japanese person and put them in Italy. They don't die from malnutrition, but the, the, the food is very, very different. And the way that maths is taught in New York is, is as different as Japanese to Italian food. And so if you want to improve the outcome for the Japanese, don't just serve them up an Italian meal. This is And pretending this is like 300 years ago where not, there's not much, you know, fusion restaurants. They've never seen Italian food before. They're going to be like, what is that? I don't eat that. Give me my normal stuff. So you need to kind of try to find a way to make better Japanese food. If that makes sense for the Japanese and better Italian food for the Italians. Um, now you can do behavior change, but you've got to be very careful about breaking it off. I don't know that makes sense. Yeah. No, that does make sense. And yeah, because I like what you're saying about having all of these systems embedded into something that's already existing. Because you're right. How else do you get people to take them up in the first place? Yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay. Okay. It's just because I keep harping on about communication. Because for me, and I don't know anything close to what you know about anything, but like I feel like one of the biggest problems that kids have in terms of anxiety and dealing with stress is that they don't have the opportunity to communicate their emotions and their needs. And then in the thing that you're creating, I thought the one really interesting question in there was like about loneliness. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that that moment of like sharing with their parent when they feel lonely, I can imagine that either is going to go like one of two ways. It's either going to be a moment where like the kid sits there and shares and then the parent sits back with curiosity and creates the space for that kid to further share or potentially that parent's going to go, 
you don't need to feel lonely about that da, 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 da. like are you going to try and embed like some core kind of fundamentals about effective communication into that learning experience so that parents can level up the way that they create space for emotions to be shared at home yeah um i would say we will, we will try to um and you've got to try well here are the underlying fundamental tools and then one of the things that they'll talk about in classrooms and in workplaces is psychological safety um yeah. so if somebody brings something up how you respond can kind of encourage them to do it again or can kind of push them sort of back yeah uh, so the emotional intelligence frameworks or social emotional learning is quite a thing um and to me yeah first thing is like you know recognition of what are you feeling and why then there's like you know self-awareness then there's an ability to communicate so self-recognition um self-regulation etc with others and then how do you communicate with others in a positive some fashion um and so to me yeah i think that we should and so part of this is well how did if you're talking about in a story like you can build a story okay when was there a time where so-and-so shared with you know this person i shared with person b and it, it went well and then mm. was there a time where person i shared with person b and it didn't go well and why do you think that's the case um so to me you can learn almost anything um and or help learning about almost anything occur and so yes that's actually actually supposedly on the curriculum in australia it's called the general capabilities um and but it's not explicitly necessarily included in things and i do believe that it can be done yeah okay cool so yeah what do you think we could do about mental health at the moment like do you have any ideas of how we can start to try and fix that problem in terms of schools and yeah adolescents okay um this is a very very interesting and tough question and it's kind of like this um balance and i don't sort of think that you know i have anywhere near a sort of comprehensive thing but i hope that's a few ideas that can help sort of move things in the right direction the first one that we sort of want to think about is if you don't feel yourself making progress academically then you start to give up on yourself academically it doesn't matter how much of a growth mindset you have growth mindset times no progress equals fixed mindset equals giving up and so we endeavor to make things as easy to understand as possible and that's not making them easier it's making them easier to understand those are two very different things and if you believe you're making progress like do not measure yourself as others versus measure yourself versus yourself yesterday as they say then that is a major way to start to change the tide about what's happening in classroom mm. the second one is that most things can be relevant or irrelevant it's not that the underlying thing is super interesting or not so you can have fractions be done in a way that has no relevance to that child or fractions done in a way that has high relevance to that child i'm going to argue fractions is in most people's days you know or at least once a week in a sort of you know developed world um and so you can push up the relevancy of this um you can also have components in a classroom where there is just outright engagement so you can have like cahoots as a form of gamification which is like a leaderboard um and so i think that you can have class let's say just take math which is like one period a day 50 minutes on average is a period where the kids look forward to it mm. and so they're not effectively put in the child detention center where they have got forced you know indoctrination open wide the brainwashing of mathematics occurs and they and they're fighting the system and then teachers are effectively these like you know sort of weird brainwashing you know warden which is kind of what it is like they're literally the kids are in there fighting against them. it is warfare for teachers versus students in some classrooms mm. you're actually there working together and then they see oh my god I, i'm understanding this oh my god i can see why this is relevant for me oh my god there's some part of this class which is just outright engaging 
And so you can go from, I have to talk about an emotional resonance tax on me, love, like, indifferent, dislike, hate. I say that probably the average kid is like dislike or hate for math. And I think you can move it to like or love with the same curriculum. You don't change that fractions doesn't get removed or something, you know, you have to learn fractions. Um, and the same time and the same teachers, no more money. And, and if you can do that, there's a phase shift. Like, why am I learning this boring, irrelevant stuff? Why I'm not, I'm not even learning it, you know? What are, what are you doing? Um, to, oh my God, I'm making progress. This is relevant to me and it's a bit of fun. Do I want to do this all day? Hell no, nor should you. You should be hanging out with your friends, you know, playing some sport, you know, relaxing, you know, whatever. But you shouldn't be, for a lot of students, disliking, actively disliking all of the learning component of the school. Yeah, for sure. And what lens would you give kids around like their strengths and weaknesses? Like if they're identifying something that they're good or bad at, like how would you speak to them about channeling that? Should they try and eat it out or what's your view? Yeah, so I think that smart and dumb are some of the most detrimental words in the English language. And that we should instead call them areas where you are cultivated or areas where you're not. So one way I have this is like, are you a level zero or you're level one, two, three, you know, 10, you know, up to 100 or whatever. Um, and so you start off at level zero at everything. You can't walk, you can't talk, you can't add mathematics, you can't read. You know, you don't know any science facts. You don't know anything about history of communication. And so any area, um, you know, that you can level up in. Uh, and so how good are we or, or the education system at helping people level up, but also how good are we at helping others understand this concept? And so I would say, that a, a relative weakness is just an area where your level is on average less than your peers and a relative strength is where your current level is higher so let's just say that the average level is level five a weakness might be your level three right and a strength might be your level seven well you can do the work to level up from level three to level four to level five etc and so to me what i'd say is you want to make sure that you have a foundation so that there's no that, uh, that you can go any direction um, so one of the definitions I like of a good parent is that it builds a foundation for a child that they can become anything in the future. They're not missing half the foundation. I think that's kind of the same for school. The curriculum should be building the foundation. Like, for instance, you do need to be able to read. You do need to be able to respond. You need to be able to write, et cetera. Um, and then you should then take it further. So to me, I don't think most people see that. They think that they are born good at maths or bad at maths or born good at English or bad at English. And that things come natural to someone, like someone had this talent, you know, or that they're just really, really good. So to me, there's many, many stories which are very detrimental inside the existing education system, which we would try to change. <laughs> and the whole concept of smart and dumb is, is one of those. Yeah, that makes sense. Can I throw to you one of my fixed mindsets to see how you pull it, pull it apart? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so an example would be like, I feel like when I work, um, when I have a client or someone to anchor into, I am more creatively channeled. Whereas if it's doing something broadly or having to like maintain kind of very kind of strict discipline across a long period of time without a client or human interaction, I fall short. So then I keep trying to remodel my life to make sure there's always those individuals to anchor into because I seem to get 10 times more energy when there's humans to connect with. So is that a mindset? Like, is that because I've got a fixed belief about my ability to self-regulate or is that something where I should accept that component of myself and double down on having people that inspire and energize me around all the time? I don't know if I have a good answer. Like, to me, it, it depends. So what are you trying to get done? Um, so as an example, I have a blog called Cloud Streaks and I write, it, it was every week, but then I switched out every second week doing something different so every fortnight now. 
And it's just by myself. It's on Sunday mornings that I do this, which is Sunday in New York right now. I did it this morning. And it's no, there's no client that I'm interacting with directly. But it is written with a direct purpose of something that I'm trying to help. So there's an area that I'm trying to level up in. Sometimes I'm level zero, I want to go to level one. Sometimes I'm level 10, I want to go to level 11. Um, and so what makes it motivating for me is that there is a tangible thing that I'm trying to help improve. It's not just I'm writing for writing's sake. There is a purpose that I can clearly attach to it. It's not, oh, maybe one day I'll find out why this is helpful. It's like, I know why I'm writing this. So I've, I've got like, I don't know, actually, I don't know how many, seven different blogs open. <laughs> and I write about the one or seven different ideas that I'm most energized to write about. Mm. And so I, you know, and I found that my these are kind of creating units of knowledge or leveling up in an area, and the cumulative outcome of this has been incredible. So writing, I think, is the single best. You should go to the gym for your body. You should go to the gym for your mind. Going to the gym for your mind for me is writing. Mm. Is the, the best version of that? Sorry, the best version of mind gym is writing. Um, and done well, it is extraordinarily rewarding. So does that help? No, it does. That's interesting. So I like that. So you kind of put constraints, but then you allow yourself to play within the constraints so that you can like push and pull motivation depending on the mood that you're in. Yeah. Um, so there are certain times where you just have to do things that are not fun. Um, and so they say, if there's nothing you're willing to hurt for, or do you, is there anything you really care about? Um, but hopefully that is not all day, every day. <laughs> um, and so different things are energizing for different reasons. So I don't know. I, I want to spend most nights eat. Um, but then Friday, I, I want to spend a night out. So what I want to do on a Sunday night is the entire opposite of what I want to do on a Friday night. But done well, they are both very energizing. Yeah. So to me, it's it's different things at different times and the underlying purpose or reason that you're doing something. No, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I suppose I'm wondering how we can start framing that or how you can start framing that to kids because I feel like looking back, I burned a lot of time because I spent some years trying to force myself into the wrong kind of peg. And now that I've kind of accepted parts of myself that don't like fitting that mold or doing things in a particular way, and I'm channeling everything that I like to do or brings energy, yeah, things are flourishing more. How do you kind of, yeah, how do you give kids that space to work out where they flourish and what brings them energy, but not also kind of giving them like an excuse? Um, so I feel that part of what you're saying, I would articulate differently. Yeah. So like our biology has not changed much, right? So we were effectively hunter-gatherers until very, very recently. And the, like, the longest humans that have been in the agrarian society, you know, ongoing, it might have been 2,000 years. And our biology hasn't shifted, right? And so if you were taking the standard Western characterization or narrative, you are uncovering yourself. There was only one peg to be, you know, there's no square. You were a hunter-gatherer. That's it, right? There's only one job. That's it. So it wasn't like, oh, should I have been a web developer should I, should I be doing you know some kind of you know whatever teaching perhaps i should have gone and been a real estate agent this is ridiculous so these jobs if you, if you look back uh 200 years ago even when we were in the agrarian revolution so let's just say you were in whatever western europe at that time 90 percent of people were subsistence farmers yeah and 10 percent weren't they were like lords in the guilds so you know you're stonemason and so you didn't get a choice. It's like you were born a peasant farmer, your parents, you're a peasant farmer, right? It's like this guild. So to me, the jobs that exist today, so now 1.3% of people in Australia are farmers. 
and they make enough food to support the rest of us and we actually export food from australia but what they do as farming has stuff all to do with what farmers did 200 years ago when there weren't tractors and there wasn't you know, irrigation and there wasn't all this other stuff so even though they're farmers being a peasant farmer where you till the soil with your hand is very different to sitting in your tractor with you know your <laughs> podcast you know headphones on rock and rolling around right um so to me the concept that you are uncovering yourself and being authentic and finding things doesn't fit with how history is even the jobs we have today like so many of them didn't exist when our parents were our age so to me i feel it's much more that passion is built not i'm forcing myself to do something that's against who i am for me the more interested you are in something normally the more so the more you know about something the more interesting it is normally the better you are at something the more rewarding it is and so it's much more about finding things which you believe are worth doing the work to level up in and know more about and doing the worth the work to level up and get better at doing as opposed to fighting your nature or this is just different to who I am. I don't fit here. It's like, no, where do I want to build myself to be good at something? That all makes sense and I completely agree. I'm going to push back just for fun because <laughs> I, I don't know how I've landed with this label, but I recently got diagnosed as having ADHD and I'm imagining, okay. I don't even know where that sits with you because I know that yeah. you're into the concept of, yeah, like everything can kind of be solved in terms of internal cognition. But like one thing I'm gonna do is I'm 100% hiring a cleaner because I'm just shit at yeah. cleaning my room. It could be yeah. laziness, I just don't like doing it. Like yeah. I love hyper-focus. There's like certain things that I'm really, really shitty at. And I'm like, oh, cognitively, this kind of lines up with this other cluster of people. But then there's other stuff that I'm like, when I'm on, I'm on. And so yeah. I'm like, how do you look at that? Because I've spent so much time trying to do things in what is like a neurotypical or you're like yeah. bog standard entrepreneurial book way. And I've hated yeah. myself for it because I've failed, not failed, but you know what I mean? I can hear the fixed mindset coming out. But you catch my drift. Like when you have a little bit yeah. of an excuse, <laughs> you can play so, different. I don't know if you heard of the biological, psychological, um, social model. Um, so biosocial, social, psychological model. Um, so if you look at reading and there's a number of studies, uh, the studies would say that 90 to 95 percent of people have the ability to learn to read and there's five to ten percent of people that might have hardcore dyslexia hardcore asd or something where there's a biological component which makes it very difficult um and whilst there are biological differences from other people that they are effectively irrelevant versus the upgrades that you do that would be joe bowler from stanford who's a, as an education professor there that, that that's a paraphrasing her um and so to me what people would say from what i understand and I, I feel this is reasonable is that the majority so that there might be 10 ish percent of people that are born with something like i don't know adhd for what you said which is biologically so hard there that it's it's, it's like going to over, overwhelm or whatever because it's not kind of like you either have it or you don't it's like a binary it's normally like a sort of spectrum from like extraordinarily bad to very 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 mild right to, you know to almost non-existent like i have very mild dyslexia um and of most of this whatever um and so the, the diagnosis of like, you have it or you don't, people in education could talk about the labeling actually being more counterproductive than things. Um, yes. And that it's a combination of the bio, the social and the psychological. Yes. Um, and that doesn't mean that there won't necessarily be some sort of pharmaceutical that could help, but that if, if it, that it being a panacea and solving everything, most people would say is unlikely. And so some combination of biosocial psychological so the biological side the social side the psychological side and cognitive behavioral therapy would be what most people would say is the combination to sort of shift things and so you are you know even if you you know you've got your brother or sister or whatever going to be different to them 
and your starting point will not be the same, but it doesn't define your end point. And you can shift things. So my two cents would be, um, do, is this an area you want to do the work to change things or not? Um, and you've only got 24 hours a day, and not, some of that should not be spent trying to level up. You know, it should be spent chilling, relaxing. And the answer is, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying to actually get good, you know, in as few places as possible. <laughs> I want to be the best in the world at at least one thing. Um, and for me, this is building education products to help others. And I don't care about being level zero in many, many, many areas. So for instance, I'm level zero at cooking. I'm level zero at cleaning, you know. I'm level zero at lots of, you know, normal standard things. Um, and that's fine. Does that help you or not really? No, 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 no. That helps. That really helps a lot. I think that's why actually I've been so drawn to your kind of mindset because you're going to be my mindset model for 2023. Because of <laughs> like, I like how you work and like I like kind of your beliefs and your framing around things because it's, yeah, it's like chase the dopamine in some respects, but within some kind of consolidated constraint. So, yeah, give yourself some room to play within the articles that you want to write but yeah don't make yourself write an instagram post if you loathe social media you didn't say that i'm saying that but <laughs> like yeah which it is depends. What's it gone? Yeah. no 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 no. you go sometimes you're playing in games that others have created so like you're talking about like some people are just slaves to their limbic system the limbic system is where the happy hormones so the main happy hormones are dopamine serotonin and oxytocin and they just want them to fire they don't care how they fire right and so you can get them from like eating chocolate or getting a massage. But you can also, if you win a game, you know, uh, of sport, you get, you get, you know, if you, I don't know, get promotion at work, you get, you get a happy hormone. Yeah. But you also are able to set up your own little games. So you're probably not able to set up entirely, like you're living in a society and there's the bigger game called the laws, et cetera. And you can have enough ways to affect that by which, you know, politicians you vote for or, or voting in like a referendum or something. And so that's part of a bigger game. But at a more micro level, you can set some of the games that you have for life for yourself, and you can set the rules about whether you win or you lose, right? And so, in an ideal world, you're having some games that you set, which get you to move in a way that you want to do, to write the blog, to to do the thing, right? And at the end of it, you win a game, so you get a reward, right? And I didn't realize that I could try to set this up, and so it's sort of like, ah, um, well, what? Is, so this is like my five days a week of purpose. How do I define purpose? Define purpose. Okay, well, education, the point of education is eventually you can educate yourself um, so that eventually you discover the love of learning and you can learn about whatever you want. And so that is the goal. Um, and how do I believe that we can help with that through the education system? Okay, we've got this. Cool. Okay, and how do we help with that through mathematics? Interesting. So we need to help with this border goal, but also through, you know, the goals that the teachers have. So we want engagement and then their tests that they have. So we're not, you know, taking away from their goals. We're getting their goals and our goals. Um, and then how does writing a blog help me with that? Okay, well, this blog, CloudStreaks, is actually on how to help run a business. That's the main sort of thing for me and to help, you know, with this. And so there's quite a few layers removed from that overall purpose thing. But I found that it's a very valuable use of time. So the ROI, return on investment of the, well, you know, one to two hours, that it normally takes me to write a blog is very valuable. And so I don't have motivation problems for it. So to me, if you, if I was to do, let's say 10 hours of blogging a week, I'd probably have motivation problems. Mm. But doing zero would make me sad. So there's kind of like, what's the right amount of time on it? None is, is in my opinion, in this case of blogging too little and 10 is too many. The right amount for me is one to two hours. And done well with the right motivation that I built, 
not, well, I'm square, you know, this is a round hole. So, you know, I should just not do it. I'm like, no, no, no. What do I want to be? And mm. why do I want to be this? And so learning how to build your own games, you're going to call that, which then uh, decides whether the dopamine fires or not. I didn't realize that, that I was effectively a slave to them before and only playing others' games. That's what I'm talking about. Like, what were you like at school? Uh, you know, effectively a zombie walking forwards who thought he had 100% agency but had 0% agency, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> and was not fighting the system because I, I love my parents and I think my parents love me and I was, like, trying to, you know, you know, worked hard and sacrificed. So I was like, I'm going to, you know, try to, you know, make the best of the start they gave me, not, you know, be a frivolous dick and, you know, do whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, so the one thing that you didn't mention was I'm not writing a blog to get SEO or I'm not writing a blog to get this, this and this. It's it's actually comes from, yeah, like that internal motivation. Do you think that's what's kind of missing for people at the moment? Like I see a lot of people starting up businesses who are exhausted and disenchant like disenchanted, yeah. Like, mm. you think that's what's going wrong? They don't have a strong enough anchor? This is one way. So I thought that passion was something innate. So this mm. is another standard story in the Western canon. And you need to find your passions. And then once you've found it, it'll be there. So I used to really like clothing. Um, and now I don't really care. Right? Like, so I broke both my grandmother's sewing, singer sewing machines, and I was doing little sewing courses, like, you know, on you know, after university or whatever. Um, and so I've found that passions quote, can be fleeting, but that purpose, which you build, if it is related to something. So I very think it's very hard to believe that we don't want to improve education and that that's not going to change you know, ever. And so it's, it's not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, God, I don't care about education. Um, so to me, purpose, in my definition, is something that you build. Passion is something that you just randomly stumbled across. And you're like, oh, my God, I love this. And I don't know if that's ever true because the things that, you think you love, right? If you think back to an evolutionary perspective, probably didn't exist 200 years ago. And so it's therefore not possible for this to be wired into your biology as something, right? And so to me, the concept doesn't seem to be possible, you know, from a biological perspective. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh my God, purpose is built, not some sort of thing that you just, I found the cheat code. Yes, this is what I'm passionate about. Oh my God, I've been waiting all my life to find the thing I'm passionate about. It's happened, it's happened. I won the lottery, you know? But no, the things that you get passionate about are the things that you spend the time to build interest in. So I spent a bunch of time yesterday reading arcane academic research on the different schools of thought about how to help children learn to read. And it was enthralling. I was like, this is awesome. And I was literally reading different arguments that literally are two different schools. And I wouldn't even have been able to understand this a year ago. It would have been gibberish. But I was like, this is going to be fun. And so, and then I didn't even understand the concept that I could understand four years ago, you know? <laughs> um, and so to me, I think there's a, a crisis of meaning, um, uh, you know? And so we're going up as this hierarchy of needs. So now too much food is a bigger problem than not enough food. You're a thousand times more likely to try to kill yourself than you are to be killed by somebody else, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so as we get near the top, near the self-actualization layer, there to self-actualize, I think you normally need a purpose or meaning. And, and that there's a lack of this. I did everything. You know, I got I went to uni, I got the job, you know, I've got a partner, but like, what the hell am I doing this for? Right. And to me, the rest of the stuff can be more easily given to you. Okay, you got enough food to not die, you know, you, okay, you got a place of shelter, you know, okay, you, you can go to uni and you can, they can program into you accounting or program into you law or whatever, right? But you can't go and disorder meaning. You've normally got to build it for yourself. And I didn't know that. 
I was indoctrinated with a standard story that your passions, you know, do the things you're passionate about and life will be much better. You never work a day in your life. Um, and I'm like, I feel that that is not reflective of the biology of humans or, or the experience I've seen of many others. That makes sense. So if someone was signing up to Duncan's Purpose Bootcamp and you go <laughs> two weeks <laughs> and they're going to give you two hours a week, can you break yeah. down the curriculum? Sure. <laughs> um, so you normally find, like, I don't know, so there's the UN sort of major goals of ways that they think can help the world. Um, but if you want to look at it from a more kind of micro level, and let's just take Australia as an example. Um, and this is, you know, the other one I can look at is the US. So I think you want to give people um, all of the, the best starting point to life and the highest chance of reaching the point where they are able to start teaching themselves. And at that point, they should also start to figure out what purpose they have. And I think an easy hack to that is how do you want to make the world better or to improve humanity or to scale, uh, expand the scope and scale of humanity? So your eventual goal is to try to find something to help with that. I didn't even know that, right? Um, and that when you start on this, you'll start at level zero. But if you go at it for 10 years, like I've been doing now in education, you'll go from, I don't know anything about this to, well, I've now understood that there is wild amounts more things to learn than I could possibly ever learn. And it's gone from boring is yeah, you know, not the right word, because I was interested in trying to build a business and trying to help. But for instance, the academic research and the detail at the beginning was zero. Like I hadn't been a teacher, I hadn't done some masters in pedagogy. Um, I didn't even know what the word pedagogy was, right? Um, so what would it be? Okay, well, five days a week you do purpose. Um, one sort of overriding thing is to help improve the world, help improve humanity. Okay, you're gonna wanna pick something. Um, and I should get another framework. So the frameworks are, okay, we well, want minimum wage. Um, so Australia has the highest minimum wage on a purchasing power parity basis. And so, as such, if you're you know at the very bottom of the income scale, you can argue that Australia is the best place to be. I would much prefer to be in Australia at the bottom of the income scale than America, as an example. <laughs> um, then we've got universal healthcare. You get sick in Australia, walk into a hospital. You know, <laughs> ain't happening in America where I am. You know, have health insurance. <laughs> um, cool. Then you want to have a, a good jobs economy, right? So if there are no jobs, you know, it's sort of this. You want to also have a very good education system, um, and then you also want to have the right mindset, which is that you want to improve the starting point for others to meet, but that you are your outcome is a starting point plus effort and that you should take it upon yourself to try to build yourself in the way that you want. Um, and so to me, the core area to help with in Australia the most, I think is education. We've got a very good minimum wage. We've got a very good healthcare system. We've got a good jobs thing. We've got a third quartile education system on by outcomes. If you look at PISA, um, despite spending to the top quartile of income per capita, uh, and so, we're, you know, we're not underspending, we're spending, you know, a good amount, we're just under getting value. Uh, and so I think the education system can improve, but part of it is not just improving on the metrics of things like PISA. It's also helping with the mindset that has been the one that has worked the best, which is the kind of outcome of like liberal democracies. And I feel that in some respects, we're going uh, the wrong way, which is not like, it's, we're indoctrinating learned helplessness, which is a synonym for post-traumatic stress, not post-traumatic growth which is the opposite of the positive psychology stuff which Martin Seligman has done, which I've seen make a massive difference. Um, this is not a very well-structured answer. I'm sorry. I hope that's useful. No, it was a weird question. No, that makes no, it does make a lot of sense. I'm going to throw back to you a question, though, that my students are always asking me. And the question they're always asking me is, how am I meant to make a difference? There's such a big problem. What, I don't have any money, blah, blah, <laughs> which I understand. Like, is the thing that I've been throwing back to them is, I suppose, similar to what you do, which is telling them to start doing a little bit of research and seeing if they could, I don't know, 
make one small change in one small area? Or what's your what's your throwback to that mindset of how am I meant to make a difference? I'm one person. You just always start somewhere, which is nowhere, you know, <laughs> and you put one foot in front of the other. I'm unaware of any shortcuts. Um, so they say that people overestimate what they'll get done in one or two years and underestimate what they'll get done in 10. And so to me, to purposes is built from my perspective. So find an area of the world that you want to help. And I gave you one sort of framework. If you're trying to do the starting point for people. So there's minimum wage, there's healthcare, there's jobs, there's education. Right? This is one lens. That's not the only things, but let's just say that makes up roughly 80% of what there is, say. Well, in America, I think the minimum wage is a joke. They should lift it. I think the healthcare system is a joke and they should change it to be something more similar to, say, Canada or Australia. But yeah. Canada and Australia are different. I know that, so if someone's listening. Um, and then I think, well, healthcare, so education is the sort of area. Okay, well, how do I think about helping with this? I don't know. You just start at looking, right? Yeah. yeah. And to me, um, hopefully, over time, things will improve. So, <laughs> yeah, and also, no, but like they do, right? Um, but you, you're not going to somehow, I don't have never really had light bulb moments. I've had earned secrets. Uh, this is a blog um, that I've written. And so a secret that is earned, you do the work to figure it out, but it looks like a, a breakthrough moment. I never had had that. You're kind of just wandering around, looking and doing the work, surveying, you know, so reading, thinking, talking, writing, building, user testing. Um, and you start to figure things out. And if you are, you know, not wanting to take the jump to do a startup, um, then I would say work for a startup or in a company that's in the field that you are interested in and start to learn about it and then start to do some stuff on the side. Um, most people will have children and I think that's a wonderful, noble thing to do and, uh, you know, should do this. And they, most people are going to have a job and have children. Uh, now, some people are going to be, so being a stay-at-home parent is an extraordinary laudable thing and one of the best jobs that can be, so nothing against that. But you, if you are not with children, have a lot of spare time. <laughs> and you know, you'll find out if you have children that you had a lot less, more time, right? And so, you, if you, you should be, I think, conceivably working plus, as in, at a job, investigating ideas and other things on the side. Um, otherwise, it's very unlikely that you're going to make progress. But yeah, you should not. It's, there's not going to be some sort of light bulb moment, or at least that's not my experience at all. Yeah, that makes sense. And I like that too, like you like aligning to a company that kind of embodies the values that you want to see in the world. So then you are creating change, giving them your energy. And that makes sense. Mm. Actually, I wanted to ask you too about partnerships. So I can't remember exactly what you said about having a good partner. So you've got the person to talk to. And I know that you have like a kind of uh, like a logic kind of sequence that you go through where someone has an I reckon and then you challenge it. Did you pick your partner with much intention or was it just that he came into your life at a particular point? Like how you built the relationship, obviously, like how important do you think it is picking the right partner versus just picking a partner and then putting in place structures to develop the relationship? Uh, so you're talking about business partner, I assume. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. Cool. Um, look, I'd worked with the, the people that we started at Rollo with Ben and Jeremy um, before. And so I had some understanding, but I like to believe I've grown a lot. <laughs> um, and so I think you can either grow and hopefully level up, you know, all the time or, or you can't. So to me, doing things together is much better than not. Um, and trying to learn to work well together is difficult, but done well, positive sum, one plus one is three. Um, so if you look at the stats, um, the startups with, you know, more than one founder, they normally say two to five is like this. So beyond five, there's too many people in this like bureaucracy and it's hard to get things done or whatever. Or so two, three, four is better than one. And five, six, seven is worse than two, three, four or whatever. Um, so yeah, then learning to work well together. This is hard. Um, but 
over time can be done. Uh, and there are many, many, there's not like one, you know, do this and you will work all together or something. <laughs> you just mentioned one of the things that we can go into, which is like, if they're like, if we don't have the same point of view on something, so let's just say there's problem A and, you know, Jeremy has solution A and I have solution B, right? Well, we try to understand the reason that we have that. And so you go down and say, well, where did you come up with? Okay, well, I believe that the problem space has these four variables variable one two three four and that i think variable you know one is net positive variable two is net positive variable three is net positive variable four is net negative and here's why and that the synthesis out of this that we should do this right and jeremy said well i think there are only three uh, you know okay interesting three variables and i think this is you know and so you just go through and you try to figure out the variables which cover 80 percent plus of the problem space and once you've landed on that you then try to go through and figure out what you believe each of those variables is and then you synthesize them and normally what you find is that there's one or two variables where you both have low confidence in what that variable is saying. Um, and so you then go into the work to level up your confidence beyond sufficiency. Uh, you can never probably know something. Uh, some, most things are subjective, so you cannot know that it is objectively this or whatever. But you might then go, for instance, and speak to 10 teachers or something. And at the end of that, your confidence has gone from low to high. And then you make a decision. Um, so to me, you are trying to have the strongest possible link to reality. And if you don't have a strong one, um, then your decisions are probably not going to be high quality. Um, but having someone to talk to is much better than just talking with yourself normally. Um, and so I think good partners improve the quality of decision making as an example. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you were stuck with just picking an average person off the street, would you rather pick an average person off the street and work towards levelling up the way that they think or would you rather just work by yourself? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so the people that I with them. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, there's people that I work with now that have worked with for like 10 years or five years or whatever. And who I am is significantly determined partially by who they are. Um, how much? It was a very interesting question, right? Um, and so I know probably not an average person off the street, <laughs> very much not. <laughs> how do you find the right people? Well, I mean, this is the thing. It's like interested people are interesting. So if, if you're asking me, it's like for doing a startup, um, well, do they have the same, you know, affinity for the problem? So they have, and, and what I mean by that is not that they have founded, you know, that they are passionate about it. They have done the work to level up in it. Two, are they hardworking? Uh, as they say, if you don't work, nothing will. Um, and three, are they wanting to work in a positive some way? Um, and I think almost everyone does, but either I suppose people are just more open-minded to that than others. And that's not because they're biological that way. It's just because they are. So if you have to fight with somebody to have a discussion, as in zero sum or negative sum, it's going to make you dis, you know, or interested in having the next one. So the two main questions I think about a conversation is, what did I learn and do I want to talk with them again? And if the answer to both of those things is yes, then I want to talk with them again. But you can help each other with, I didn't know that at the beginning. So, so as an example, like I believe that the percentage of the discussions that, for instance, Jeremy and I have, has increased, we'll just say there's two outcomes. There's a zero sum outcome and a positive sum outcome. The percentage that is positive sum has increased over the last 10 years. As we have learned how to discuss and, and talk through the logic, and also as we have learned, which is the message, how to have the messaging be more positive sum. So outcome is message time messaging. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
So you'd be looking for someone who's more motivated to kind of fit into that way of working rather than trying to find someone that matches or marries up well with your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, yeah, strengths and weaknesses are a nebulous term from what we <laughs> Yeah, um, we would do on that. <laughs> that, you know, you, you hopefully grow over time. Um, and so to me, it's like there are more people that are just hungry for whatever reason, and anyone can be hungry. But, you know, I meet some people that are younger, like whatever, there's a person I'm working with now, I won't name them, um, who's really hungry. Um, and it's wonderful to see. And like any scrap of opportunity or talking, they're like on it, right? And so that'd be one thing is to say, are they hungry and working hard? And then two, are they reading or interested? Interested people interesting? So they're reading and learning and leveling up. Um, and I think if you've got those things, you're kind of good. It depends also if you want to start a certain kind of business, like you, you need someone to code. You can teach yourself to code. Or maybe you can find someone you know who can code or whatever. But I think the longer term thing is that you end up in sort of high level problem solving, i.e. that there is no code that you're writing. Um, and that being able to have discussions with others is much better than not. And if you're having a discussion, you want it to be positive sum, not zero sum. Yeah, OK, that makes sense. So. And then would, is, it, is it your belief that most founders could work their crap out if they tried harder? Like if they use the right tools, do you think that you could kind of get rid of that, that tension that people sometimes have between each other? Or what's your lens on that? Yeah, um, this is interesting. I, I don't understand what the root cause is, but let's just say that a lot of it is that the outcome is message times messaging. I believe that you can massively improve your message. So when you're discussing about something, you need to, this is the like positive sum discussions. The first thing is to decide on the problem space and to be able to articulate it. Then you should need to figure out the job to be done in that, and that can be hard. Then you need to propose solutions and they need to fit that. And that those can all be done through systematic approaches or just randomly wing it. Um, now, most people are saying like, like, there's a problem, right? Or let's just say there's a solution and you're saying, well, there's, let's just say there's four parts to a solution. Or let's even say there's two. You're saying, Jess, like, Part A is important. I'm saying part B is important. And then you're, like, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. And what normally is the case is both part A and part B are important. Yeah. And you need to figure out how to put them in there in a way that works together. So that's the first thing. And so I, I didn't understand this at all. And it's extraordinarily difficult, I've kind of believe, to try to have positive sum discussions, but also perhaps the most important thing. And then there's positive sum messaging. And so you don't want to use absolutes. Like it definitely is this. Or no, that's that, that I don't agree with. It's like, okay, interesting. What about this? So you want to get the messaging right, um, and that's very difficult. And so I believe that if you focus on trying to have positive some message and positive some messaging, that you can go from, you know, really quite bad at it to really quite good at it. And those are probably the things that determine in many ways whether or not you learn something out of that conversation and whether you want to have it again, and that as such this will solve the dysfunction, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. What do you do then if it's something like you've got five people in the Ed Rollo team and you can see that something's gone a bit weird with them? Like there's some emotional tension, someone's stressed, there's no clear problem. Someone's just, there's just oddness and more tension. What do you do with that? Do you not tolerate it? Or how do you solve when you can't see the actual problem? And maybe they don't even see it themselves. Maybe they can't admit it to themselves. This is an interesting question. Good question. Um, okay, so. There are two core areas where I think 80 or 90% of the problems have come from. Um, oh, this is the thing, like, one's just straight up work ethic. And different people have different things, right? 
Uh, and so there are parts of Edwolo where it is much more chill, um, and there are parts where it's quite you know full on. Uh, and so if you're wanting something super chill, cool, that's all good, right? You know, I think there's many ways to live a good life, and if that's what you want, awesome. But you should probably not be in the quite full on sections of Edwolo if that's what you want, right? So so get that part right. Um, then the second part is learning how to have positive sum discussions. Mm. And so I didn't understand. It's like if you have not diagnosed properly, then your you know solution proposal at best can be a fluke, you know, and but normally is off. Um, and so if you don't define the problem space, explain how to articulate it in a way others can understand, then you don't have the basis to even have positive sum message. So going through and doing that is super important, super, super, super important. Um, then even if you have that, the messaging can be quite zero sum. So th this message and messaging is the next thing. So work ethic or how much you want to work effectively, then problem solving, message and messaging. And then the final one is that some people's problem solving is just way better than others. And that's not because they couldn't level up. This is something that I've come to believe quite strongly because I've sort of seen this. Some people start problem solving when they're two or three years old. So for instance, if you've got Lego, right? Some people just make the actual um, instructions and they put it on the shelf. So they've just followed the procedure. That's not problem solving, right? Other people then tear apart the Lego and figure out how to make something new that they want. They're making new instructions. That's problem solving, right? Some people, when they're playing Connect Four, they don't build any strategies. So. I remember as an example with this because they, you know going in the middle is better than the outside because there's more optionality right and if you can build like a square of four you've got all this optionality around it than if you don't have a square of four right you know four like one two three four here um and so then they're leveling up and adding strategies and it's the same with like reading english right you know are you understanding and thinking about or how did this character think about this why or are you just reading it on the page you're not spending any time then you're not from experiences you learn from reflecting on your experiences and so by the time people finish university they might have got the same marks at the same university but you can get it in one of two ways rote learning or conceptually understanding um, which is procedural understanding or conceptual understanding one is a unit of rote learning one is a unit of problem solving and you can have done that in every part of your life whether it's in literacy whether it's in numeracy whether it's in sport whether it's in friends so for instance strategy for friends how can you make play better how can you make play worse and you talk to little kids about this and they've never thought about it. And they didn't realize that with their sibling, they're just always making play worse because yesterday he made play worse for me. So I'm going to mess up his play today. And then there's a tit for tat reprisals to just kick on, right? And when you teach them, like, if you can learn how to make play better, then you're not training your sibling to make play worse for you. And also, you want to have friends at school? Like, yeah. It's like, well, if you make play better, you're going to have friends. I'm like, get out. You know, I don't want to be a you know, loner or not popular. I want, I want, want these things, right? So what I'm trying to say is, but by the time you're so let's just say you finish university and you're 23, some people have done 20 years of problem solving. Some have only done it in one vertical, that like numeracy. Some have done it in multiple verticals, like literacy and you know, friends and sport. And so you are dealing with some 23-year-olds that are, say, level 20 problem solvers, and some that are level one, mm -hmm. but they got the same marks at uni. Because you can hack the uni system, right? And that person who's at level one can get to level 20, but you cannot catch them up in six months or 12 months. I've, I kind of believe this. I didn't see this. And they don't know this. So Dunning-Kruger 
those who are of low ability do not know there is high ability because they are they believe that what they do is the highest ability that can be. So unless you're like to understand, to, to not be beholden to Dunning-Kruger, you need to understand Dunning-Kruger. Um, and so if you have, have a look at this, so in other words, those have been the main areas. This is like an extraordinary long answer. Is your work ethic right or wrong? Some people just want chill. That's cool. Two, how good are you at discussing, which is your message messaging? And three, how good are you at raw problem solving? And raw problem solving is the sum of the upgrades that you've done. And that some people are 20 years ahead of others. And you can probably get that 20 years done in five if you are really efficient. So upgrades is quantity times quality. You might be able to do the quality four times higher. It's probably unlikely going to do it 20 times higher. Um, and, and so you can't catch them up. I've tried in six months or 12 months. But they, so they look at it and they, they try and, and they don't know why. Like so, and then they might think that they're, quote, dumb or something. Um, but they're not. They're just less leveled up in that area. And whilst they are leveling up, the gap between them and others is quite large to the point where it doesn't work. Mm. What are the metrics so, that you're using to measure that gap that they have with their peers? There's nothing. So most things are subjective um, and not objective. Um, and so you can give two people the same thing. Um, and you just see that on average, someone comes back with something much, much stronger. Yeah. But, you know, and so, and then it's by the time that, if it's like a 10 to one ratio of someone's like, this is a really good quality outcome and this is like an average at best outcome, um, then it's kind of like, okay, why? And I remember thinking like, cause I remember I literally had two people straight out of uni and I'm like, why the hell is this person one of the best problem solvers I've ever seen? And they did the same degree pretty much. And this one is really bad. Like, you know, how, how is that possible, right? And then, and then I was talking to them. And so one of them had effectively been building stuff. For, for, it was like in, in arts things, like figuring out how to make new art. Not like mm -hmm. I was forced to commit crimes for violin. Like there was not problem solving going on there. Um, but I was problem solving in maths, in strategy games, in other places. But it wasn't problem solving in English. And so I was relatively, I was like average at best, probably under average um, for you know, English is an example, but I was stronger at maths because of the leveling up I had done. Um, so you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then do you have like a way that you try and suss this out before you onboard these guys or what's the yes, process? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, this is going to be trouble. Um, no. <laughs> um, look, I think that interviews now should be some interview, but some audition. And so uh, I remember Google was like, oh, you have to do five interviews and you have to ask these behavioral questions, blah, blah. And to me, uh, you know, you can learn something out of this, don't get me wrong, but I think you can learn a lot more out of doing an audition. And an audition task, well-designed, you cannot fake through procedural outcomes. You can only do it well through conceptual outcomes. And so I am, but you can also ask questions to understand somebody's conceptual understanding. So some of the questions that I will ask people uh, you know, tell me something you're interested in. Okay, tell me something that you've improved at. Explain to me how you've improved at this thing. Explain to me what you're learning. And I, I'm basically wanting to get you to explain how you leveled up. And if you ask enough follow-up questions, like five in a certain area, you can normally come to quite a high understanding about whether someone is conceptually learning. And the best thing I want to see is someone is not just learning something else, but teaching themselves new strategies. And if you teach yourself a new strategy, not that you've, you've found the new strategy that you're applying, so there's, I don't, I don't even know what the strategy is. I'm just dumb, you know, rote learning. I have learned someone else's strategy and I can apply it. I've created a new strategy for myself and I'm using it and it's leveled me up. So one way to level up is to create a new strategy. 
um, or to employ employ a strategy that someone else has had. I want to see you building strategies for yourself and implementing them in areas of life, hopefully more than one vertical. So not just, for instance, in the sports vertical or not just, for instance, in the friends vertical or not just, for instance, in the arts vertical. Um, and I want to see you doing it in the audition. Mm. And if you do this, then I hopefully have a high confidence that you have good problem solving ability. Um, and that's what I'm mainly testing for. <laughs> and then the next one is kind of like openness to wanting to try to level up as opposed to defensiveness uh, on defending why you did something. It's like, no, trying to understand why someone said something uh, because that's another area which people can yeah, be more fixed mindset. Hmm, that's really cool. Okay. And then in terms of like your spread of stuff, like if you've got someone who is really good at leveling up, is trying to create their own strategies, but they're a bit of a wild card because they've got no formal education versus someone that's a bit more safe, do you like try and have a good mix of both or how do you kind of create like a spread of ingredients across the, the team? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, biggest can't be choosers in some respects. <laughs> you just, you, you just um, do whatever is needed to be done. So it's like, what, what are you looking for? Uh, and so as an example, if you're building a, a, a mass product in New York, we're doing now, we need math teachers. Yeah. <laughs> how good you are at English, like not relevant. Right, you know. Yeah. Um, so we need mass teachers, um, and you might have been to so these different levels. Like, as an example, um, the best person at building relationships with students. So they say no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Teddy Roosevelt, um, and some. So some, I think, a good teachers build relationships with students, and this is not some accident. But you talk to them about the strategies they have, and it's not strategies in a way that I'm now got you and I'm going to manipulate you. It's like no, we are here. I'm here to help you. I'm not your enemy to try to force you to do something boring. You know, we're here to try to help you feel that you can improve and level up and all that other jazz. That's important, right? But we are making the content at the moment, not actually being teachers in classrooms. And so that is less important. And so to me, I don't know, this is, this is a different thing. Some jobs, you know the skills that you need and so you can buy them. Others, they can't be bought because they haven't been done before. You have to build them. A lot of what I focus on is building products. And if you're building a product that's been built before, why would anyone buy it? If it's already existing, it's already in market, it's got the traction. So you need to do something that's not being done in some respects. And so you're trying to find people that you can work with to do something that hasn't been done before. Um, so yeah, this is like not necessarily a good way of saying things. And then you want to show them the mission. So, and then they'll hopefully get around this. And then they're like, like honestly, like if the teachers they're working with in New York, for example, wouldn't use the product, I want to know deeply. And they say they would. And I believe that they, when they say it, and also if they don't think they would, I wanna know why. And if they're lying, then probably they're not gonna be motivated. Do you know, they're just doing it for the cash or whatever. And so the, the main hack I suppose is having a mission that's worthwhile and then showing what, why the product vision that you have hopefully is making progress towards that. And then explaining it to others in a way that they can tangibly understand, which means that they wanna help and then they're interested in getting into this idea of leveling up and pushing in the right way. Um, so in some respects, I think of Ed Rollo internally as like a little mini example of what we're trying to do at schools. Like if I can't help myself level up, then what makes me think I could help anyone else level up? And if I can't help others level up that I work with, that are like, you know, you know 30s in their 40s and their 50s, what makes me think I can help someone, you know, as a teenager, which is probably, you know, more difficult than someone in their 30s could hopefully learn a bit. Um, and so to me, 
yeah, it, th there is elements of what we do internally at Rollo that can be incorporated into what we build for schools. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then, like, how do you embed that culture? Like, do you have do you have frameworks that you make the team use internally? I know you've got your blog, but like, do you have I don't know specific times in the week where they reflect and you make them do this or you make them do that, or do you expect them to do it in their own time? Or how do you push that? Things change a lot. <laughs> I've gone through like so many cycles of like what is important to what is not important. Um, and some things like I used to consider extraordinarily important, and now I feel like that a lot of the value from that has gone. Okay, so the way that, for instance, one-on-ones happen is wildly different for me than what they used to. Um, it used to be like one hour a week, every person is a direct. Now it's like half an hour, a fortnight, or every you know four weeks, <laughs> which I would have been like, this is, this is sort of bad. You know? And then in them, what do you do? Um, I suppose the main thing is that you'll be having meetings with the people that you have. <laughs> this, is, this is annoying. Like, it's not like, and I mean, so you, you need to have the mission, right? And then you need to have a product strategy that you believe will make progress that and that everyone else believes right and this is not brainwashing cult this is the opposite as hardcore adherence to reality as possible going and speaking to many people and constantly trying to find where you're wrong and the goal is to be less wrong to to, to kind of understand that you can never be perfect and that the product can never not improve and then having reasonable expectations so one of the things i talk about is wrote this blog um, what is a psychologically safe floor expectation? So with expectations, there's the floor expectation, the kind of middle expectation, everything, and then there's the like stretch yourself, you know, expectation. Uh, and I think you should have all three. But if you'd asked me two years ago, I only had the middle expectation. I didn't understand that, that this is the floor psychological safety. Like I don't care how bad this is, like whatever, you know, rock and roll. It's kind of with nothing. All I care is that you try, right? I didn't say that. I was like, yeah, here, here we go. This this is reasonable to me, and it is, I think, reasonable. But it's not necessarily you should have the, the low one. So through speaking to people and having this around, you can kind of create, hopefully, a positive culture and move. <laughs> but I don't think I'm like necessarily very good at this. And I'm sure that there are some examples that are like haven't worked well at all. Like, you know, I've learned a lot and a lot of it the hard way <laughs> from, from things not working at all. Yeah. That's interesting. Is there one of you who's got like more of a pulse on the emotions and one's got more of a pulse on the intellect or do you not see it like that? You're talking about the founders of Eduardo, is that what you mean? Or yeah, the, or just how things are managed. We, we don't actually work that closely together. Like I'm in America, right? <laughs> Working with the American team. Um, and everybody, are they all over the place? Ninety-five percent of people are in Australia. Ninety-five percent are in Australia. In one big office. Oh, there's Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, like I don't know everyone's name anymore. Um, and so this is the thing: like, how, how do you have a country, hopefully, you know, progress each year? you know is it because of elbow like i'm sure it's partially but it's not like entirely you know or whatever right mm. and it's because it covid's gone away or, or did covid bring us closer like i don't know you know um and so to me it's, it's not that simple um the main thing that i think and this is something that is hard to do but it's something i want to really push in this year you need to have a clear way that you are helping improve humanity right mm -hmm. and sometimes that's objective uh so for instance cost per ton to orbit you know for, for spacex and sometimes it's subjective improving education but it doesn't mean that you can't have some objective measures for improving education so you might be able to for instance have a way to represent 80 percent of how you feel that improving education is in objective ways and then if you can show that those objective measures are moving in the right direction each year people feel progress is being made towards that mission 
And if people feel progress is being made towards that mission, they say progress solves all known problems. You're good. Right? So if you don't have a mission, then as in, and the mission effectively can only be to improve education to me, or no, to improve humanity. And in the case of the role of improving education, which I believe is the best way to help those at the bottom of the, you know, sort of starting, or, you know, where, where you start in life in Australia, the, the best way that I think, not the only way, is the education system improving. And that you're making tangible progress to that. It doesn't matter after that if you're like, oh, kumbaya, and you've got an offsite, and there's someone that's listening really well, and you have these things. Like, that's putting Band-Aid on a broken leg. Like, it, it's not helpful. So either everything is equally important or everything isn't equally important. Well, I think it's very clear not everything's equally important. And so the number one thing to me is what is your mission? And then number two is how do you measure progress, hopefully in an objective way? And if those things are right, you have the possibility of having a company that's working well. Not guarantee, right? You can still F it up. But if, if you get all the other stuff right and you don't have that, it doesn't matter. And so to me, I spend the vast majority of my time focusing on those things and trying to tangibly demonstrate. Um, and yeah, you know, making, you know, presentations to the company that explain how I'm understanding this problem and why I believe that what we're doing is helping. That makes a lot of sense. Like I wouldn't want to bring someone at Rolo like a water cooler squabble, given that <laughs> the mindset that we have at Rolo is like, yeah, like growth, this, 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 you just, you'd learn to fix it yourself because it wouldn't fit within the company culture. So yeah. Well, maybe weird internal tension i'm guessing like i i think i know a, a less and less portion of what ebola is um and that's fine um it's not it's not like negligence it, it, to me it's the opposite it's actually so i used to want to know everything that happens and now i want to know as little as possible that happens yeah and knowing as little as possible happens allows me to have a, a maximum portion of you but it also creates the space for others to be able to help and to, to you know to add value um and so it's it's sort of like, yeah, I hope creating a positive sum environment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll ask you now like a more like personal how you see the world question. Yeah, hit me. <laughs> what is your view on energy and manifesting? I asked because of you mentioned about the energy on your couches, <laughs> which I like, but I'm curious what your lens is on all of that. Okay. Um, so this is your toilet. So, to me, I suppose I don't think sort of in these like karmic or cosmic sort of things, um, but I do believe that if you try to do good things and to try to help the world be better, that hopefully others will recognize this and that they will then, for instance, want to get on board with helping you. But also that if you are trying to do this, that others will then, you know, hopefully be in a way sort of around, similar around you. Um, so, you know, I suppose I'm not trying to, I don't know, uh, you know, do things the cheapest way. I'm also not necessarily trying to, I don't know, do things the most expensive way. It's just trying to do things in the way that seems the best. And now sometimes that is the cheapest way. <laughs> um, but that's not the, the headline thing. It's about how do we, as an example, improve education in the way that's most, you know, going to make the biggest difference. And a massive component of that, as an example, is engagement for Year 7, as opposed to, well, this is the easiest to understand. That's very important. So how do you make it engaging? And a big component of that, as an example, is, or what energy does something contain? Mm -hmm. So you can elicit something, something can elicit to you to have a positive emotional bond with it. You can't force someone to like something, I don't think, or force someone to love something. But if it, you can have it so it's very, very, very difficult to love something. So your favorite t-shirt you love, your worst t-shirt you hate. Your favorite song you love, your worst song you hate. Your favorite person you love, the worst person you hate. Mm -hmm. You know, the most things you can love, like 
indifferent, dislike, hate. I think that education can be the same. But I believe for something to be lovable, you've got to sort of create it to be possible to be lovable. So it should elicit love. And so it, the ceiling of how much somebody can emotionally resonate with it is partially defined by the people that make it. And I don't necessarily see existing people creating education resources focusing on that lens. Mm. It's often very focused on we must have maximum understanding or I have an ideology called it must be adaptive or we're doing constructive or instructive approach or whatever else it is, right? Um, and I don't think those things are not important, but it's very hard to love a bottle of bleach, um, but a <laughs> bottle of bleach probably does its job very well. It like sterilizes, you know, the, the bathroom or whatever, you know? Um, and so a, a large portion of the time things added Rollo is built on trying to make it so that it is possible that people have a positive resonance with these things. <laughs> Not a lie, but like a, a non-trivial portion. Large is, is the wrong word. It is a conscious effort from me, and I believe many others at Edwolo, to try to build something where the energy is good. And good energy, as an example, means that it is possible that somebody could love this. So we want to elicit love. We're not trying to force you know, this on people. And that's something I didn't think about, I suppose, much 10 years ago. I said quality of education, and quality matters, but one part of quality is energy, to use your word. I mean, to be honest, I was, it, this is not really Ed Roller related, but I was wondering what you think about this. You can ask Ed Roller. You can ask about whatever you want. This, this uh, I, was just, I, I was honestly curious about what you think about the whole things about vibrations, raising vibrations, lowering vibrations, the kind of Joe Dispenza lens on the world at the moment. How, yeah, what's your mindset around that? Yeah, so I don't necessarily know that there are, quote, vibrations or not, but I do think that, for instance, I don't know, you, you're in a, a good mood and you see the person that you dislike a lot, you're in a bad mood right? And you're in a bad mood and you see your best friend and you're in a good mood. So there is something about energy, right? Like, I don't know, you you listen to your favorite song, you're happy, you know? Um, you, you know, whatever, you, you've definitely got a favorite t-shirt, you know, and putting it on a list or, you know, you're watching an you know, episode of your favorite TV show and it makes you So do things come with energy? Yes, for sure. Um, are you able to partially channel you know, energy. So, for instance, you should make your environment work for you, not you work for it. Mm. Um, so, as an example, if you're trying to stop, you know, eating chocolate, don't have chocolate in the house. Mm. But also, like, I want to do um, some, you know, writing each week. And so, I've called it in my head a conversation with myself. Mm. So, yeah, the best conversation with myself that I can have. And so, would you make time for a great conversation? I sure as hell would. So I make time for conversation with myself. It's a date with myself, right? And I want to do it normally in the morning, you know, when I'm a bit fresh, because if you're doing it like after work and you're rinsed, you've got no energy in the tank, you're like, nah, we're going to hang out by cuddling on the couch together. We're not, we're not, we're not having a dense conversation, right? Um, and so, well, yeah, I want to have a great conversation with myself. Okay. I also want to see that this conversation can be hopefully helpful to others. So the best things are selfless and selfish. So this is something I want to do for myself, but also it can be selfless to, to do others. Um, I want to do it when I've got kind of the right energy. So I don't want to go and have too many drinks on a Saturday night because then I'll wake up hungover on a Sunday and then I'll be a crap date for myself, right? And so it's like multiple levels of motivation. It is a good conversation with myself on some, sort of something. It's some way to help people at work or other things, you know, because I've seen this thing. Um, it's helping me level up. This is my straight up problem solving ability. Mm. So this is just thoughts, you know? Um, and I've also got the time. Like, I'm not sitting there like, oh, I've got to do this thing. And I've got, you know, TikTok, I've got this meeting in three minutes. And like, I'm not going to get it finished. And like, ah, you know. Um, 
And so normally to get things to be really enjoyable, there's more than one motivator that I've found to get it to happen. Um, and so that's part of the energy. And I'll give you sort of one thing, like I used to, like I now exercise every morning, six mornings a week, um, but I used to do it after work. And after work, it used to be the first thing got cut if I was busy, right? Mm. And part of going in the morning used to be like, oh, you know, I can't bother it, I'm tired, you know, whatever. Um, but now I felt, well, it's much better for my energy. So if I don't exercise, I kind of get all gummed up, like everything stops working properly. I didn't realize that. But also, as an example, I go to the gym for my mind where I'm listening to podcasts and audiobooks in the morning at the same time as exercising. And it's this time of complete zen. Peace. Nobody ever slacks me. Nobody, I'm not looking at emails. There are no meetings. It's my time. Um, and so there's those three things, this time of peace, this time of exercise in my body, and this time of exercise of my mind, which meant I look forward to it. If I go to the gym after work, I normally want to relax and I don't want to listen to podcasts. And so gym after work isn't energizing. So there's three core reasons why the gym in the morning is exercising, exercise for the body, exercise for the mind, time to myself. It's like this peaceful time. Um, and so if you can get more than one reason or motivator for something, it normally is far more enjoyable than just one or none. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that frame. Do you let yourself within the context of the gym play between different kinds of exercises or do you have a regime that you stick to? Uh, so most things should be either in evolution or revolution in my two sense. So there are certain parts of life which I consider the fundamentals. So as an example, food, exercise, sleep, work, relaxing. Um, and for those things, I will be either doing evolution, um, which is like 1% different minimum week on week, or revolution. Uh, so I moved to New York and I did revolution from a food perspective because there's a bunch of food things that are available here that you can't get in Australia. Um, so I switched up my diet and I wanted to see what it did. And I don't know exactly what happened because my sleep was quite poor in Australia, but my sleep has been better in New York for some reason. And I don't, because I changed more than one thing at a time, I can't know exactly what the reason was. Um, so anyways, with exercise, this is part of the fun, it's the puzzle. Um, what am I changing 1% each week and why? Mm -hmm. And what's happening? And so they say no exercise, you waste away. Too much exercise, you wear away. So you're trying to do, like I'm not an, a triathlete or my job isn't, you know, to, to try to, you know, perform from a physical perspective. Be in optimal health, it's just about longevity. Um, and so it's really interesting. It's like a really interesting puzzle. And so you think about how does this shift? How do this, so basically how can I get the most rounded, best outcome from the gym that I have and the time that I have? And then what am I changing each week slightly? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I understand why that would be fun because it's so measurable and the, the outcomes are so obvious. That would be fun in itself, I guess, to tweak the dials. Yeah. And then also like, so what am I listening to when I'm at the gym, <laughs> you know? And then making notes, and so I'll be tweaking my my um, you know information diet every week, and then I'll be tweaking work uh, as an example. Um, and so, but some most of the time it's like a one percent change each week. Um, but sometimes it's like a ten or one hundred percent change. Um, so, yeah, that's good fun. Yeah, that makes sense. With the people that you would listen to or engage to, do you tend to listen or focus on people that align more to what you consider your neurology or your strengths? Or I know you're not a strengths and weaknesses person, but do you have people clustered in that way in your head or, or what's your lens around that? Um, so I th this is there's many lenses here. Um, I think you should do some short, medium and long-term stuff each day. So short is like news. Mediums, things like I don't know, podcasts, magazine articles and long-term is normally books because you know a book you know can't be about the current thing 
And I think that you should probably be across the current thing. Um, and then you should probably, certainly in the case of education for me, I, I'll be deep in some education stuff at any given time. Yeah. But if you just take news, I think you want to find enough of the facts to be able to then form an opinion. So part of the day is like fact collection. And sometimes it's quite straightforward. Like, I don't know, who, whatever, you know, the outcome from a sport game was or something. I don't know, you know, this is sort of more simple, you know, thing. Um, and sometimes it's more difficult. And then once you have got the basis for the facts, so as an example, I think it's quite interesting. Um, I don't know why I've had this thing for the Royals for a little bit. I've been watching The Crown and I've watched a bunch of things. So I'm like, I'm going to buy Spare, which is Harry's book, right? And I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to have the basis for the facts. I'm not just listening to snippet, 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 right? Mm -hmm. um, and then once I've got the facts, then I want to hear, I try to understand the, the spectrum. So one of the sort of easy is like a continuum. Like the people that think he's really good, people think he's really bad, as an example, right? Um, and then I want to listen to one, minimum one, you know, view of why they think he's good and then one view why they think he's bad. And then I'll try to sort of think up my opinion. And my opinion at the moment is I don't know. Um, but that's what I'm trying to do is gather the facts to a reasonable, and you, you, can't, you can't know everything about everything in the world, but if you don't have the facts and you've just relied upon someone's opinion, you're often wantonly like idealistic to whatever they've said. Yeah. So in some respects, you are what you feed yourself. And if you only feed yourself one view, it's very difficult to not have that view. And so it used to be that, and I think especially it's like, if you listen to someone who have a different opinion of yourself, you maybe didn't like them <laughs> or something. Um, and this is, you know, it, you sh it should be, in my opinion, I don't like what you say, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it, Voltaire. Mm. But I feel that what it is today is I don't like what you say and I'll fight to the death to get you cancelled, which yeah. is standard woke, you know, approach. And that's, I think, quite detrimental to society. And so I have learned, it took quite a while, that, and it's been at least for five years now, that it's fun listening to other points of view, yeah. not infuriating that somebody this. And most of the time, I don't know what my point of view is. I'm trying to get to one. And the whole thing, like if you align your views with 100% with one party, they're not your views. And you're not, you know, actually operating. You're part of a cult. And so to me, you should have some views, and it's fine, that are different to one party. You know, <laughs> you have to have them all the same. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of what I'm doing is building this. So I say cartographers, not stenographers. Stenographers just, you know, doing a transcript, verbatim transcript. Cartographers are making a map of meaning. Mm. So when I'm acquiring knowledge, I'm not building myself into an ideological prison. I'm trying to create the foundational framework upon which I can build something beautiful up, not a, not a hole in the ground that I've locked myself in. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm guessing curiosity is kind of what you'd consider to be the key to get other people to follow suit or? No, I think it's knowing. So, um, okay, so this is getting into high level stuff. Um, the future is unknowing. Like you literally can't predict it, right? Um, and so there's two systems for governments, a, what Karl Popper called, Karl Popper also came up with falsification, um, which is one of the core tenets of the science, the scientific method, uh, closed societies or open societies. A closed society is the laws are fixed. So it's decided by the Bible or the Quran or the king, right? An open society, the laws aren't fixed, they change. And if the future is different today, which I think is very hard to argue it isn't, then the only viable model is an open society where you know you're updating the laws and everything that's sort of happening right um and so to me it's not about curiosity per se it's about well how do you think about what the update should be um and part of that is understanding what has been built in the world is how it's different but
but part of it is also understanding how you want to change the world to be different. And so from my perspective, you should be trying to understand the world, collect the facts, then see a different range of opinions on things. Um, and then, so for instance, like what should the education policy be? It's not one, it's not one answer, it's what, you know, what should the healthcare policy be? Not one answer, you know? Then you get into more controversial areas, like what should the immigration policy be? Like there isn't a definitely right thing. What should the climate change policy be, right? And so to me, you need to have the facts about what's happening in whatever education and other things to be able to start to build reasonable, you know, views of what to do. But to be able to have made a good decision, you should consider more than one option. If you're only considering one option, how do you know it's any good? Mm-hmm. And so if you consider at least two options, then you might say, well, this is a good trade-off table. Well, option one and two both have merits, you know, witnesses, but on average, I believe that option two is better and here's why. That's the bare minimum of problem solving. Mm-hmm. And so most people, I don't think, are trying to understand more than one option. It's almost like so like the, 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 it appears that some of the political parties are going more culty. Like Trump tried to do it, but there's the, there's the opposite on the left as well, which is like you cannot hold a different, even disgusting an opinion that is different to theirs can get people cancelled. Yeah. And so to me, we should be able to have people with opinions, not facts. You can't, like, you can't push on facts that are wrong. You don't need to choose your own facts. Yeah. But reasonable people can have multiple syntheses of the, of the you know, facts of what to do. Yeah. For instance, someone could say, we should increase immigration, we should decrease immigration. They can both be reasonable. And it doesn't make someone racist or not racist, in my opinion. It might, but it doesn't necessitate that. Um, so most of the reading that I am doing is attempting to gather enough of the fact base as a foundation to then be able to understand different opinions and then to be able to start to calibrate what I believe is the best weighted view thought. And that's literally what I'm doing at Ed Roller. It's the same thing. But if you can't understand the world, that's one part of empathizing. Um, then it's harder to understand how to help people. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like, why do you think people right now are so stringently clinging onto their own beliefs? Like, what do you like? I've got my own views on it, but what do you think is the uh, payoff? Um, I, well, it depends. I don't know what part you're talking to. I, I think that the excommunication is is the core component of it. So they talk about the silent majority. Um, so, um. The bigger a group of people that you can congregate in, normally the more powerful you have been. So I think a lot of things can be decided or descri- uh, explained by like Darwinian survival of the fittest. Um, and so religions had a lot of the same features, like whatever, Islam and, and Christianity as an example. There was a heaven, there's a hell, and if you do well, you get to go there. And if you're not part of the religion, you get excommunicated, you get kicked out of society, right? And you have to go and take over things. So there's the Crusades and there's caliphates and all that other jazz, right? And so if you're excommunicated back in the Middle Ages in Europe, you're dead. Right? You're literally not part of the community. So you have to be part of this. It's not optional. Like it's literally a virus, like a mind virus, which is like you know what Dawkins came up with, that spread through all of the known world. There weren't any people that weren't part of religion. Yeah. And that because of this, the people that were Christians, they fought together. You know, if you're a Christian, you know, we're together here, right? So the bigger the group of people you could collect together, the stronger you were. Mm. Now, I think that that was a better operating system than hunter-gatherers, where there wasn't this, because you could collect together with you know, a million people, whereas hunter-gatherers didn't have an overriding operating system which you could collect together. Mm. I believe that liberal democracies with plurality, not homogeneity, um, which is what a religion is, right? You, you know, here are the Ten Commandments and they cannot be questioned and there's a heaven and a hell and if you don't believe it, you're excommunicated and then you're out of society, right? So this is a very homogenous society. Not only. So we want to have, I think, a group of rules that can be updated, which is the open society, because the future is different to today and we don't know what it looks like. That's a feature, not a bug, and it's always lagging. 
and that people can live in different ways. Um, so for instance, if you want to, I don't know, monogamy, um, you know, one partner, children, sweet. If you want to be polygamy, no children, sweet, whatever, you know, <laughs> to me, there's the, the harm principle, John Stuart Mill. If you're not harming others, then I think generally you should be able to live how you want. Um, and so to me, we have kind of felt like we've taken it to turn backwards a little bit away from plurality and away from having different people living different ways and having different opinions to, you know, there was, and I think, you know, where did it start? And it's, it's hard to know, like, you know, Obama wrote in his um, biography that one of his biggest mistakes was allowing the Tea Party to gain air and which when he lost the, you know, midterms in 2010 and that he believes that a large portion of that was his doing. And I think that that's not an unreasonable thing. And then the Tea Party got people annoyed, right? And then they pushed harder from the alt sort of left and then I think that created a space for Trump. <laughs> and then Trump definitely tried to create a cult. Like, you know, these are not these are lies. Like, I, I am the only arbiter of truth. You can only trust me. You can't trust the lying media. You can't do the other things. And then the reaction to Trump is the alt-left, um, you know, which, you know, a, a woke culture. And so this is, there's only one rule, which is what Trump being. And anyone that doesn't uh, believe, uh, anyone believe us is excommunicated, aka cancelled, right? And so to me, what we need is moderate people in the center who allow people to have multiple views and that mm. your views don't have to conform with my views or else I hate you or with one party, you know, um, and, and that's fine. And so I hope, and who started this? Well, I think we're getting better for quite a while. And I think it started off as a sort of little accident with Obama because he came with such a majority. And also, you know, you know, yes, we can, you know, change, change, change. I'm not going to conform to the norms of Washington. He pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> and then the Tea Party came because of that. And then the Tea Party pissed off a lot of people on the left and they got a bit more militant. And then it kind of people felt that there was too much political correctness. And then Trump comes along and goes, I'm the anti-political correct people and I'm going to drain the swamp, blah, blah. And then Trump is a self-serving flog who is, you know, a cult leader and, you know, lies everywhere. And then the outcome of that is, you know, well, we need to push back against this and, you know, we need to make sure this is not acceptable. And then you have the woke, so the extremism is getting stronger, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um and part of this also is like the, the media, you know, I don't necessarily think he's been doing a good enough job of being truthful, um, like under Russia Gate as an example. Um, and I think we are hopefully bottoming and turning. And I think that the, perhaps the bottom was the midterms when a lot of the Trump candidates didn't get in. Um, and so to me, uh, I really hope um, that we do not have Trump return um, as president. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, there's a very long way of saying certain things, but that's part of how I view it at the moment. No, it's really interesting what you're saying because it also kind of speaks to what you were talking about having like a purpose-fueled mission because then maybe if people had more purpose and were tackling it in more of a logical way like what you do, then they wouldn't have to be so stringently aligning to like belief systems of people like Trump and sort of just using their voice to amplify that because they'd be looking at things more pragmatically. Like how can we get people to be more aligned to... Because I think we need like something to replace religion. Like we need something, some kind of belief system or some kind of ideology to follow, which is why like I'll adopt, try and adopt a mindset of someone like you and try and champion that for a couple of months just to see how that feels. Uh -huh. Like how do we sort of, how do we replace religion or that uh, having someone as like a bit of an icon to follow behind? Because sometimes it is, yeah, I think sometimes people need that for a moment at least. My, my two cents on this is, so like Keegan, who's a Harvard development psychologist, talks about the different levels. There's socialized mind, that's two thirds of adults self-authoring, like one third self-transforming 1%. Um, and so I would say that there used to be an answer. It was easier. You know, you just follow like, whatever's in the Bible or whatever's in the religion you are. And 
once we started to have the industrial revolution, we had enough money to send everybody to school. And once you went to school, you got educated. So the monopoly on education was broken for the church because you had to go to church. You only went there once a week and that was your lesson where they taught you morality, et cetera. And because of that, religion started to recede. And that's what Nietzsche said is God is dead and we have killed him. Well, we've killed him because we actually had enough education system. And and I still would say he wasn't saying that in a good way because now we have this vacuum, this space of nothing. And, and to me, there's not some new thing where you need to follow, that new cult leader. I think the outcome is that you become self-authoring. And so your purpose in life is to figure out a purpose. And so unfortunately there isn't an easy answer but that's also fun because you don't have to follow something you get to choose which way you want to go and to do what you think makes sense and is it more difficult perhaps probably uh you know but to me is it ultimately far far possibly more rewarding yeah so to me an open society means that the rules change and that the goal here is to improve the one third of people that get to be self-authoring, i.e. where they can teach themselves something, i.e. where they are starting to figure out what their purpose is. It's not me telling you this is the purpose or whatever. Um, it's you needing to figure it out. But also, these things are never done. Just like an open society, the laws are never done. Your view on what your purpose is and how to help will probably never be done as in changing constantly. And that can be frustrating but i'd argue that it's far more positive than negative because it allows you to shift and to upgrade um so i do believe a life without purpose is purposeless um and so to me that some people say your purpose is to figure out a purpose but it's not something that you've figured out one day and job done you know sweat pat me on back no it's like ah okay i have started the journey of figuring this out so they say Answers you cannot question are much better than questions you cannot answer. I got that from Yuval Harari, but I don't know if he um, said that. And that they say philosophy is asking the right questions, not giving the right answers. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I think you should be trying to figure out your purpose and updating it constantly as we have in an open society, a set of laws that are updating because the future is different to today. And so as such, no law today can be perfect for the future. And if the future is different today, your view on purpose should update a bit. So I might stick with, you know, improving education for the rest of my life. But you know what? I could change it. You don't have to. When do I, when can I do that? Whenever I feel like. Right? So I believe it's better to have a purpose than not, but only five days a week. I want to have two days off of needing to feel like I have to do purpose. But what that purpose is and how it actualizes can change at any point. Yeah, I like that. That makes sense. And I suppose you can have people like that you can hold up in your head as your uh, confidants. For example, like because I know of your mentality around models, Every time I've had a problem this week, I'm like, well, that can't be a problem until you've looked at like five mental models to create that Latisse that you speak about. So it's sort of like if, if I had to ask Duncan about this, I wouldn't waste his time until I've done the mental models. So it's sort of <laughs> having like <laughs> these people in your head that I guess can like kind of back you, I guess, in finding your purpose. So you can borrow their wisdom or their mindset and then you can, yeah, use that to kind of, yeah, push you along. Yeah. It's very reasonable to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, like, because what we're going to be talking about, like, all this is just random stuff that I have found little bits from person A, B, C, D, and also made the bits myself and then synthesized little bits and then come back around and thought about it a little bit more. Um, and so to me, the puzzle only ever gets more sophisticated, mm. but more rewarding. But again, the best questions in life, I don't think can be answered. And the, the model of an open society, I think, is a good one to think about your life. It's like you should have a set of principles, aka laws, in society, but you should have them for yourself. And one of those 
might be as an example for me five days a week of purpose one day a week of play one day a week of peace or what is purpose i'm upgrading my thoughts on this what is play i've changed that significantly like 20 year old duncan thought it was getting very drunk you know and, and 38 year old duncan doesn't mind a few drinks but doesn't want to do what 20 year old duncan did you know <laughs> um and you know then even peace like the concept of peace was anathema to like 20 year old duncan like i had gotten to the point where i thought anytime not doing something as in like leveling up or working was waste i didn't understand that relaxing could be recharging and that if your battery is empty the whole time you're probably not operating very well i was like proud of having an empty battery all day every day because i had left it all in the field and so my like you know ethos around how to run life is very different to them um and i think it's a much better ethos but you know they say like i'm not proud of everything i've done but i'm proud of who i am today well i was proud of who i was back then and i now think some of the things that i did back then like rinsing myself constantly and not having any downtime were really detrimental but at the time i was super proud of it and if the past is any indicator there's some stuff that i'm doing today that i'm like oh that's a great <laughs> idea i'm gonna look like an idiot uh, like not was it wrong it was not just zero percent right it was negative 100 percent right you've literally gone opposite direction um and so that's called an open society or an open perspective on life and i'm not worried about changing my mind i'm worried about not changing my mind mm. any, any you know you, you don't destroy a core belief is a year wasted charlie Munger. nice all right i i don't know how you landed that exactly on the money of when this conversation is meant to close can mm. I, I i know i've danced around personality types but can i ask you one more question yeah we can go until like seven my time here <laughs> Do do you have a framework that you use for personality types or are you just like, nah, it's it's not something that I believe is true or useful or what's your mental model around that? Myers-Briggs, no, no, no. Yes, yes. Uh, there are lots of different ones out there. Um, the one that people talk about, which is the most statistically relevant is the big five personality types, you know, aggression. Peterson talks about this a bunch. Um, I think there is some validity to this and I think that this would apply more to socialized minds. So if there's a three levels, socialized mind, self-authoring, self-transforming, and two-thirds of people with socialized minds. My definition of this is that a socialized mind is majority driven by your biology and your nurture or socio-cultural indoctrination. So you might be 80, 90% those two things, but someone who's self-authoring is actually building themselves. They're mm -hmm. growing themselves. And so that they might be, for instance, 50% self-authored and that biology and um, nurture or, or social contribution are, are the other 50%. And then the self-transforming might be like 80 or 90% self-authored. And so I think that there are biological differences in the start point of people and that those um, models might be relevant there, but that your starting point does not define your end point. Mm. Now, some of them are a better starting point than others, for sure, right? But that doesn't mean that, oh, damn it, this is it. Like, this is my lot in life. Again, if you've got super hardcore dyslexia or, or, or ASD, that's a, that's a large impediment. Yeah. which again five to ten percent of people they say because of these impediments you're going to struggle to read but for the other 95 percent of people your starting point is effectively irrelevant versus the upgrades that you've done so are these biological models reflective of socialized minds yes do i like to believe that what i was born as from a biological perspective as well as what my nurture was which is very good nurture is important yes but is a declining portion of who i am overall yes so mm. do i i'm not wasn't born inquisitive or not um i wasn't you know born i don't know whatever empathetic or not um it, it is something that i believe that i have tried to grow and to level up in um and so i like to believe that who i am today is now a majority who i've built myself to be and 
that in 10 years time, that'll be even more the case. So that there is some validity, but it is a more aggressive way of th looking at things. Mm -hmm. um, and that it is possible for you to change these things. No one's necessarily saying it's easy, but if you want to do the work, you can hopefully get good outcomes to occur. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love that you have that mindset and you're the one creating educational material because the use of labels is terrifying. So it's brilliant that you're yeah championing the other end of it, which is, yeah, nothing's fixed. So that's really cool. Thank I you mean, for the work that you do. <laughs> I mean, like your height is fixed. Like, I don't know, I stopped growing yeah. at 16. Right? So, so people conflate, like, you know, at birth, there are certain things fixed, like, you know, your eye color, um, you know, your sort of, you know, your height is nutrition times biology, right? But there are other things that are not fixed. For instance, how much knowledge you're going to have, you know, whether you should level up in mathematics or whether you should level up in science or whether you should level up in empathy or whatever else it is. So most physical attributes, like, I don't know, you've, you've got two arms and two eyes and, you know, whatever, are fixed. Most mental attributes are not. Mm -hmm. um, and that the mental ones, I think, are the ones that matter far more because most ones today, you know, acknowledge your economy or whatever. And whilst there are some sports people, I don't know, I'm six foot one, I'm probably never going to be an Olympic sports person of anything, right? Um, but I, I like to believe that if I do the work, I can become the best at something mentally. And I believe that to 90, 95% of people who take, you know, Joe Bowler's stats are also able to have that be the case. Now, should you want to and live your life that way? No, you don't have to. This is pluralism. So I believe that I want to be the best, no, I want to be the best. It's at least something from a mental set in, in the world. Should everyone need to believe this? No. If you want to like chill, totally cool by me, right? But this is antithetical to certain other things. Like you have to believe what I believe or else you're evil. Mm -hmm. And there's only one way to live a good life. And I'm like, nah, there's many ways. Um, and I don't know, I've seen friends be very ambitious and driven at work and then have kids and shift their focus from work to kids. Is that wrong? No. I've also seen friends have kids and maintain that work ambition. And other parents might be like, well, I think they should be focusing on their kids more. I'm like, mate, you, like, you're allowed to live your way. They're allowed to live their way. You know, this is not necessarily right or wrong. And so, I don't know, my parents had a more traditional breakdown. Um, you know, mum had three kids at the age of three. She was a school teacher beforehand. And she then became a full-time mother. And she did much more of that. And dad was the breadwinner. And mum was the, more of the parent. You know, mm -hmm. then more traditional thing. Is that good or bad? Like, I don't know. Like it, it is not, it's, it can be both, you know, it's, it's not like arbitrarily these things. And so to me, that's pluralism. Like, you know, today, instead of one person working five days a week and the other one working zero, maybe to both of them work three, both parents work, you know, three days a week and you get six days and then they have two days off. And that means you get four days at home. Like that seems like a pretty cool thing to me, you know, or, or whatever. But so to me, that, um, yeah, to me, what, how you want to live, you can change your mind. And how others want to live, if it's not hurting others, should be fine. And mm. we should be able to have open discussions about this. And you should be interested in learning the different perspectives of others, as long as they are reasonable perspectives. So that means that they are based on facts, you know, not based on like half of the facts or things that are actually wrong, straight up wrong. Um, and so, yeah, trust in media is a whole different perspective. <laughs> but yeah, we can call this there. All right. Thanks very much, Jess. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I this fun. I'm interested to hear. Did I find this fun? Yeah. Definitely. I think you're so super. Why? why? Why is it fun? Why is it fun for you? Because so far you're someone who I know who is kind of the closest to the kind of person whose morals and values I'm interested in aligning with. And yes, I shouldn't have like one person that I'm championing behind, but 
you're someone who manages to balance actually having like a fun social life and doing things that are interesting and engaging while also having like this yeah this this vision towards improving education so it's something similar to what I'm interested in so I like yeah it's you're just an interesting person and you've done the work and and you're not um you're not arrogant and you don't have um you don't come I at things but you you can tell that you're someone who's open to changing their mind and you answer stuff honestly it's not like you're holding back and I don't think you're giving me answers with the intention of trying to teach me something about you you're just trying to teach or share it's not to show me something out of ego thank you that's very very nice thing to say an extraordinary compliment um well, I believe that I'm trying to provoke thought uh for others um and that I'm trying to learn and so almost everything I said here is something I've thought about to some degree before but also almost everything I've said is also partially new or an evolution of something I've said and so this is not just like rolling out prior made thoughts like they're kind of like i don't know i'm just gonna make up a number like a third of them are kind of brand new and one third not brand new is the wrong word but like materially updated from the last time i thought about things mm -hmm. um and the way that you're asking questions is not necessarily the way that i would ask myself questions so journaling as an example is time for me to ask myself questions and to answer them mm -hmm. but it's been really fun and interesting to have you ask me questions because your questions many of them are not questions i might have thought about this idea or concept before but not from that angle and so if you look at something from a different angle you only get perspective that you didn't otherwise have oh, cool.